Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, February 22nd, 2021. And I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are continuing our study on Lifeline's statement of faith. And today we are looking at the doctrine of heaven and hell and the fact that heaven is real. And if we look around our culture today, our culture doesn't believe or want to believe in hell. Instead, we begin to think that heaven is a reality for anyone who is good and thus follows the rules. We can even ask, how can God allow a good person to go to hell? But the truth is that we all deserve death, and we deserve hell and eternal punishment. The default is not heaven. The default is hell. It is only through God's miraculous grace that we're able to experience eternal life, abundant life, that's found only through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you look at movies and books, there was a a popular book called Heaven is for Real that later became a movie that explored an opportunity to have a glimpse of heaven. Uh, Minnesota pastor Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins, trying to make the presupposition that everyone has the opportunity to go to heaven. We want to believe in and of ourselves that we are good enough and that we have done enough to get into heaven. But the truth of the matter is we all have done nothing. We uh, earned hell. Romans 6.23, for the wages of our sin, the, the just desert of our sin is death, but... Life is given to us. Eternal life is given to us by the free gift of Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see it from the very beginning in in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. God is telling man to cultivate the garden. And he says, and it says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Satan comes onto the scene and wants to trick and deceive Adam and Eve into believing that death will not come as a result of their disobedience. Uh, It says this in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 2, and it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Then we see that surely men and and woman and man, Adam and Eve, eat the fruit. They disobey God. They do what God told them not to do. And at first you may read this and see that when they took the fruit, that they did not instantly physically die. But verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3 says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Shame enters into the picture. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. They were embarrassed. They had shame. They had understanding that something wasn't right. And then verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of God. 
Then comes loneliness. Then comes being alone. Oh, beloved, this brings forth the decay of man and the death of man. How do we know? Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. Genesis chapter 5, Noah is born in order to save the world, to save to save creation. Genesis chapter 6, a flood has to come in order, and God wipes out all humanity because of the wickedness of man. You continue throughout the pages of Genesis chapter 7, and wickedness abounds and bounds and bounds. And we start to see we are dying for disobeying God. Oh, we have a crafty enemy who wants to twist and spin the Lord's words, but the truth is we will die, and we are dying for disobeying God. So the statement of faith at Lifeline reads, We believe that the redeemed will have eternal life with Christ Jesus, while the lost will be separated from God in eternal life punishment. It's important that we understand exactly what eternal life means in a truly biblical perspective. Eternal life is not just the act of not dying. No, there's so much of a grander reality of eternal life. It refers to both physical and spiritual life, which is never ending and always good. Eternal life is found in and through Jesus and him alone. The opposite of eternal life is everlasting punishment. The Bible states that this is a punishment that is unquenchable. We don't like to talk about this punishment. We don't like to talk about hell. Many try to whitewash hell from the Christian experience or blame God for sending people to hell. However, the truth we find in Scripture is that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and therefore deserve eternal punishment. Hell is the default, and it's exactly what we deserve, and it's exactly what all humanity deserves. Therefore, it is the extravagant and gracious gift of God that we receive life in the first place and that we receive not just life, but abundant life. Beloved, hell is real. Eternal punishment is absolutely deserved by all people and the judgment of God will occur for all mankind. This statement from our statement of faith is crucial in so many ways. But one reason it is so important is because it creates the urgency of the gospel. It creates the mandate to share this glorious gospel, and it illustrates the need for a Savior and a Messiah. Before we look at the reality of hell, let's look more into the concept of eternal life. John wrote a lot about eternal life. He refers explicitly to eternal life 17 times in his gospel and many more times to the concept in a bit more vague terms. The other three gospel writers have 12 references cumulatively of eternal life, with only a few other vague offerings. Furthermore, John speaks of eternal life five distinct times in his epistle. Here are 10 biblical characteristics that we learn about eternal life. First, eternal life is found only in Jesus. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You cannot have true life without Christ. John 10, 10 reminds us that Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but that Jesus came to give life and life that is abundant. Christ is the author of real life. What we see here is only a shadow of true life. This world is, is just a, a vague reflection of true life. 
Heaven will not be angels with halos floating on clouds with harps, but heaven will be a life that is filled to the brim of the presence and glory of God. We will be able to explore the heights of mountains like the Himalayas without risk. We will be able to experience the seas without having to worry about a squall or raging torrents. And ultimately, we will be able to worship God with the true fullness of our being as we see him face to face. Heaven and eternal life is the remaking and restoration of life, which sin rotted and destroyed. Eternal life is walking with God, not with shame, but with everlasting satisfaction. Eternal life is found only in Jesus, but second, eternal life is received only by believing in Jesus. John 3, starting in verse 14, says that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may not may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't come to all men through a universalism doctrine, but eternal life comes to those who surrender themselves to Christ and Christ alone. The Bible teaches as well that eternal life comes only to those who repent and believe before they meet physical death. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. Eternal life is received only by believing in Jesus. But third, eternal life is the only thing that satisfies the soul. John chapter 4, starting in verse 13, Jesus says to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks of, of this water will be thirsty again, talking about that water in Jacob's well. But whoever drinks of the water that I, Jesus, will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the woman, she looks at Jesus and she says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Our soul is longing for more than pleasure, riches, sex, and the things of this world. This is why those things will never satisfy. Last week, Larry Flint died. He was the founder of a huge pornographic empire. He indulged himself in worldly pleasure. He continued to satisfy his sinful sexual desire in every imaginable way and reportedly had anything he wanted at his disposal. However, even secular periodicals reported at his passing that for a man who seemingly had all the world could offer, he always seemed restless and unsatisfied. Oh, beloved, only abundant life with Jesus can satisfy. That is why we have to remember that the things of this world cannot solve the restless wanderings of vulnerable children, women, and families. Jesus, only Jesus can fulfill all of our desires. Our life has its yes and amen in Christ alone. The fourth thing that we see about eternal life is that eternal life is a gracious gift of God. Again, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We cannot earn eternal life. We can only earn eternal punishment. All of our mustering of might falls short of God's standard. All humanity is on equal footing, deserving everlasting torment. It is by God's precious grace that we can even begin to long for heaven. 
and know that it will be our eternal destination. But the fifth thing we see about eternal life in the Bible is this, that eternal life is something we can be assured of now. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Oh, beloved, we can have confidence that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation and that we will have life abundantly with him. Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have a boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ with great hope. And we have great faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And this faith, this hope, this assurance, and this confidence will fuel our mission. Oh, eternal life is something we can be assured of now. But sixth, it is something we also have now. John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Once we come to Christ and become his, then we enter into life from death. We become the fragrant aroma of Christ. We move from the act of dying and the true act of living eternally. Last Saturday night, one of our Mississippi board members' physical bodies failed, and literally our brother Will Thompson lost his physical battle with cancer. But at the same time, a great victory was won when the component of his true life was more fully realized than it ever had been before. You see, my brother and our brother, Will Thompson, was able to see Jesus Christ face to face. Oh, his life was eternal the moment he surrendered it to Christ Jesus. We have eternal life now, but we also see the seventh biblical thing we see about eternal life is that eternal life continues beyond this life. John 11, Jesus speaking to Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. <laughs> and then he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Beloved, this is the very essence of life. That once we are in Christ, we now live in him, never to die. We are born again, never to die. The curse of sin no longer has its effect on our bodies. Death has been swallowed literally up by immortality. But the eighth thing we see biblically about eternal life is this. It is personal, intimate knowing of God that is a witness to the world. John 17, 3, in high priestly prayer that Jesus prays shortly before he is to go to the cross, he says this to his father, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we come to realize that we have life in Christ, we truly not only have security, but we have an imperative to make him known to the world. It transforms the way we live. 
This is why Paul so aptly said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is of great gain. When we know that we can never die a true death, it emboldens us to live every physical breath in this mortal body to spread the glory of God, the mission and to spread the hope of Christ. Oh, our hope is that the grave does not have to be the end. And we have a personal, intimate knowing of God, and we must take that to the world. But this confidence is fueled by the truth of number nine, that eternal life will be made complete with a final resurrection. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 40. It says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We will be raised up like Christ. Jesus did many miracles during his earthly ministry and has been performing miracles continually since his resurrection. All of these miracles of resurrection and healing are temporary. Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. Bartimaeus had his sight restored. Jairus' daughter was, was brought up from sleeping. Physical death continued to escape Paul as he was shipwrecked and beaten and scourged and, and taken out to the, to, to the brow of the city and left for dead as he was bitten by a poisonous viper. These were all miracles by the hand of the Lord, but they were temporary. You see, Lazarus actually did die another physical death. Bartimaeus lost his sight when he died his physical death. Jairus' daughter would finally die physically. And even for the Apostle Paul, physical death finally succumbed him. These miracles were just a glimpse at the ultimate act that Jesus does. When in the last days, he raises us up once and for all, eternally to live fully with him. Oh, we will be resurrected. The grave will not be the end. And then finally, we know from the Bible that eternal life will last forever. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Eternal life is unending and unfading and is the Christ follower's true life. However, beloved, eternal punishment exists as well. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, you see recorded beginning in verse 19, the words of Jesus. And, and we're unsure if this is a parable, it's another parable. It's, it's kind of hidden in amongst some other parables that Jesus is telling his followers. For all we know, this is a true reality that, that Jesus saw and knew of and gave to his followers. Rather a parable or rather something that Jesus knew. This gives us an important word about hell and the torment of hell and the justification of our death and our punishment. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There's a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in the light manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Huh. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that, they, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They are they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What imagery of the, the, the coming of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, beloved, this is such an important teaching on hell and torment. We learn that hell is eternal torment, a place of anguish. We learn that that hell is what the heart is what the heart does not want. Hell is exactly what the heart doesn't really want and that's that God is not present. We all want our autonomy. We want to be our own gods. And hell is getting what we deserve. It's a place without God, a place without the presence of the Lord. God is good in any place where his presence does not reign is the epitome of horror. There is no love. There is no grace. There is no joy. And there are no second chances. We see from this passage that the rich man pleads with Abraham to, to cross the chasm. And Abraham says, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. There are no second chances. There is no universalism. As we see from this passage, the rich man had indulged himself with the things of this world. The desires of this world had so captivated him that he ignored God and others. God tells us to love him and to love others as ourselves. Before we judge the rich man, we must realize that he is who we are without Christ. People living their best life now. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. There is no one who is innocent. Every person even if they have never heard the gospel before, is separated from God. Every one of us, every single one of us has rejected the knowledge of God and we are not innocent. Culture tells us that the default is heaven, but that is not biblical. The default is not heaven. The default is hell. We have sinned against God and we deserve separation from him forever. 
all people are condemned for rejecting God. Romans 3 continues in verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Because all of us stand before God with sin in our lives. All of us have disobeyed God. We stand before him accountable for our sin. And we stand before him deserving separation from him. And beloved, as you see in Luke 16, once you have passed on from this life, there is full accountability. We are either accountable for ourselves at judgment or the Lord Jesus is accountable for us. So this doctrine of hell and eternal judgment fuels the urgency of our mission, that we plead with people to be saved. We plead with people to allow the Lord Jesus to be accountable to them. In 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2, Paul says, Working together then with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, beloved, we live in a time of great grace and patience. God is withholding his judgment and offering such sweet mercy for our rebellious hearts. Oh, but this day of salvation will not last forever, but will only last for the time the Father has appointed. When the day of salvation is over, then the day of vengeance will arrive. So, beloved, there is an urgency to preach the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom to those who are perishing. There is urgency in our mission to manifest the gospel to the 153 million orphan and vulnerable children. Beloved, hell is real and it is the default. There will be a final judgment as we see in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. There is no moral elasticity, no middle ground. There is complete moral absolute. A standard of right and wrong exists and is found in the person of Jesus. Our choices eternal implications. All of our decisions not only affect others, but they are either an affront or a praise to our Lord. So in closing, six exhortations by which the doctrine of hell spurs our action. First, the doctrine of hell should lead us to grief. We We must have a broken heart and a contrite spirit for those who are perishing. If we are submitted to Christ, then the saddest grief we experience about COVID-19 is that so many are perishing without the gospel of Christ Jesus, and they are perishing into eternal torment. Let us be spurred to grief and brokenness over the lostness in our world. But second, the doctrine of hell should lead us to urgency. May we have an unquenchable desire to rescue the perishing with the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Our desire is no longer for the things of this world, but for souls who will know the next and will know abundant eternal life found in Christ. Now is the day of salvation. Let us be fueled with the urgency of the kingdom. But then third, the doctrine of hell should lead us to thanksgiving. We should live lives of complete thanksgiving for grace and for God's ultimate justice found at the cross. Jesus took our death so we could have his life. As Paul tells the church at Corinth and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. For the Christ follower, the doctrine of hell tells us exactly what we have been saved from. And this gives us thankful hearts. 
But fourth, the doctrine of hell should lead us to celebration. We now have a desire to live a righteous life born out of gratitude to what Jesus has done for us. Paul told the church at Rome in chapter 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus and baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. John says this is in his first epistle, chapter 5. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. That leads us to the fifth thing. The doctrine of hell should lead us to sanctification. The reality of heaven and hell calls for an altered value system that focuses on what will endure in the kingdom of God. No longer do we live for the things of this world, but we work for those things that honor God. Once we see what we deserve, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to the things that truly honor our Father. Matthew 25, verse 34, the king says to those who are going into glory, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. But sixth and finally, the doctrine of hell should lead us to make disciples. Our diligence and persistence in telling the good news is born out of the eternal consequences of disbelief. We go, therefore, into all nations making disciples of Jesus. We go out into all of the world to preach the good news of the gospel, that you can receive that which you do not deserve. Eternal life, abundant life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Beloved, hell is real. Judgment will occur for everyone. The good news is that in Christ, we do not get what we deserve, but instead we get eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's celebrate new life as a result of the mission to manifest the gospel to orphans and to vulnerable children. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today, we are praying for the country of Kyrgyzstan. We are specifically praising the Lord for the five families who are currently in the process we're also praying for doors to open with our unadopted ministry. Uh, we're praying for the 6 million people and 88% of the people that practice Islam. We're praying for the Kurg Church, that the Kurg Church will be strengthened and the gospel will multiply throughout the country. We're praying for leaders to rise up in this country that will assist in the furtherance of the gospel, as well as better care for vulnerable children. We're praying for the central authority, the ministry there, that they would find favor with our reaccreditation paperwork. And, and grant Lifeline reaccreditation in a timely manner. We're praying for Jalene, that he will continue to build strong relationships with the ministry and with orphanage directors and doctors, and pray he will continue to find favor as he upholds strong ethical standards. We pray the Lord would lead us to orphanage churches and individuals we can partner with. We praise the Lord for Jalene and the work that he does. We pray that as he continues to hear the gospel from our families, that he will understand what it means. We pray for his salvation. We 
We pray for the U.S. Embassy workers in Bishkek and pray specifically for a lady named Chopin in the ministry as she reviews all of the paperwork. We also pray for our Lifeline stateside team, for Josh and Jaina and Jackie and Brianna and Toria and Sarah Ann and Timmy Ann and the work they do stateside to serve our families. So let's pray over the country of Kyrgyzstan. Father God, we come before you and we certainly lift up this country to you and especially for the 6 million people, 88% of the country who practice Islam and do not know the gospel of Christ Jesus. We pray that the church in Kyrgyzstan would be strengthened and that the gospel would multiply throughout the country. We pray that leaders would rise up that will assist in the furtherance of the gospel. We pray that these leaders would come from the countryside and the byways and from Bishkek and from all across the country. We pray that you would call your people who are called according to your purpose and are called according to your name to make the gospel known, as well as to care for orphans and vulnerable children. We thank you for Jolene and all the work he does and pray for favor for him as he builds strong relationships and as he continues to interact with officials. But we also pray that Jolene would, would respond to the gospel and that he would follow after you. Pray that salvation would come to Jolene and to his house. We praise you for the five families that are currently in process, and we ask that you would surround them with your love and your patience and endurance. And we just ask that you would also be with the central authority as they look over our reaccreditation paperwork and that they would grant this reaccreditation in an extremely timely manner. And Father, we pray that doors would continue open for our unadopted ministry. We pray that you, that you would lead us to orphanages and churches and individuals that we can partner with. We pray that you would show us where we should be working and that you would be showing us where you're already working so that we can join you. And Father, we also praise you for the relationships that we do have with the embassy there in Bishkek. And we specifically pray for uh, this lady named Cholpan. And we just ask that you would surround her with your love and your grace as she works to uh, work on this paperwork and ultimately as she cares for these children who are coming across her desk. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that the reality of our salvation grants us eternal life. Lord God, you are good. You are gracious. And we ask all these things in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music